I always had coaches. And so you realize that you don't know everything and people come from different walks of life and you're always able to learn different things from people. And so I always had that open mind to say, huh, like, I see how you're enjoying the way you do this. I want a piece of that, you know? And at the same time, like, you can learn a lot of good things, but you can also learn a lot of bad things that, like, I don't know if I say this correctly, but you can learn a lot of bad things that teach you what not to do. Welcome to Show Your Receipts, where we believe if you can see it, you can be it. Receipts are evidence or proof that something has occurred. Our guests are evidence that Black excellence is alive and well. They will be sharing their receipts on how they've been able to accomplish so much in their life. I'm your host, Tony Jackson. Let's get started. Welcome to Show Your Receipts, where we believe if you can see it, you can be it. We have a special, special guest today. I'm going to read off you some of his accolades. He's a former Division I athlete. He played golf. He graduated from undergrad with a degree in marketing from the University of Alabama State. He also graduated with a degree, uh, a master's degree in information technology from Northern Michigan University. He's originally from Zimbabwe. He's lived in four countries, Zimbabwe, South Africa, United States, and now he currently resides in the UK, in London. He's He was the top rookie of fiscal year 2023, quarter two. He helped do 4.3 million in pipeline from May to December 2022, and we have him here today. Welcome, my brother. I'm glad to have you on the podcast, Bengali. Hey, thanks, Tony. I uh, really appreciate it. You know, love that you looked up. I think you got that from LinkedIn, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I was doing some research. And here's the reason why, you know, and this actually made me, this is our first time talking, but this made me even want to get to know you and, and like you even more because you are a very, very humble person. As I said, I've had multiple people who have talked about the success that you've had so far and how sharp you are and how well accomplished you are. And when I asked you to send me some things about yourself, you said like a few lines, like, here you go, here's some stuff. <laughs> and then I go on your LinkedIn and I'm like, man, he got, he's done so much. He didn't want to share it. So I appreciate your humility, but I wasn't going to let you, I wasn't going to give you a humble introduction. So thank you. Thank you so much for us having you on the podcast. Let's jump right into it, Mingati. You're a solutions specialist currently for Databricks. Explain to me what does that mean? What, is, what does a solution specialist do and what your company does? Yeah, so I work in a software company called Databricks. We're a unified data analytics platform. So think of kind of the data process from the beginning all the way to the end. Databricks is pretty much involved, right? And as a solution specialist, I'm kind of the first point of engagement potential customers have with Databricks. And so helping them uncover what their use cases are and then connecting them to account teams and helping for I'm focused primarily on the Azure team, which is the cloud that I'm focused on. So Microsoft is one of the largest hyperscalers. So I'm focused specifically on the Microsoft cloud team. So yeah, pretty fun role and um, I've enjoyed my time there so far. That is awesome. So let's jump into a little bit more of your current career now. During the, the introduction, we talked about how you've lived in so many different parts of the world. You've been in the U.S., you've been in the U.K., you've been in Zimbabwe, you've been all over the place. Is there a connection between being so mobile 
and working in the tech space? Is it because you work in tech that gives you the ability to be so mobile or what has caused you to be able to go to so many different places and work in so many different capacities? Yeah, so I was originally born in Zimbabwe. For example, I went to primary school and high school there. Then when I moved to South Africa, I also I did a bit of my high school there as well. And then when I moved to the US was because I came for university and to come play golf. And I think just being able to move so much in my life, I think I look at it as an advantage. I always tell people that I'm adaptable. I always, when they ask like, oh, what's so special about you? I adapt really quickly because... I've learned to move and move to new countries. I mean, I just recently moved to the UK and I'm not going to lie. I thought it was going to be the hardest move I would ever make my whole life, but it was like, honestly, the easiest. I'm pretty settled already. I'm having a good time. Yeah. I think just that exposure helps me learn about different cultures and different people out there. Definitely helps a lot. I think in my career. That That's amazing. So let me ask you a question. Did you always... Since you were a little kid in high school, primary school, did you always see yourself working in the tech space? Was this something you always wanted to do? No, actually, no. I was always on the finance road, funny enough. And a big reason you'll hear around my whole life story probably comes to visa attachment in the U.S. So for context, when I graduated, I was going to work at a a big bank and unfortunately my visa delayed when I graduated came out seven months after when it was supposed to come out and I lost the job before I even started and so I went from that to signing up for a job that I was originally supposed to move to Boston so I had to find a real job quickly because as a foreigner you have a deadline of I think it's 60 days of when you get your paperwork to find a new job. Mm-hmm. So I signed up for a job at this door-to-door company. I didn't know it was door-to-door at the time, but I was hired as a analyst to take a look and help. And one day they're like, hey, you should come out and check out what the field is doing. And so I started like shadowing someone who realized it was door-to-door sales. And I ended up doing that for a few days, or a few weeks, actually. It was going pretty good, but in the sense of this is not what I wanted to do because my day would start at 12 in this in the very nice neighborhoods of Boston as a black guy knocking on someone's door. Sometimes people aren't too happy. And this is going on until 7 p.m. where it starts to get dark. I had the police called on me a few times and it got a little scarier, but I couldn't quit because I'm still tied to this visa. So the moment I quit, that countdown starts again. But funny enough, whilst I applied to other roles and stuff, I finally just kind of was like, this is not for me. Also, I realized some bad practices were going on. So I was like, I don't want to be part of this. And so... Mm. Fortunately, actually, like maybe a week after I quit, I got a phone call from um, a recruiter at Apple and they were like, hey, let's chat. And from there, I had a few interviews, went really well, and I started working at Apple. Really great time. I enjoyed my time working there. And that's how that happened. And I decided to go do my master's because I fell in love with technology, right? And so particularly was around cloud computing. And so I was like, hey, I want to learn a bit more about this. So I ended up going to university. I went to Northern Michigan. And funny enough, that was also tied to, again, another visa issue I had where Mm -hmm. my visa expired. And so I had to go back to university really quickly. And Northern Michigan, I had a friend who I knew there. She was like, hey, you should come here. She'll make a few phone calls. And they processed my paperwork very quickly to get me Mm -hmm. into university. So I ended up showing up maybe like a week late after school started. But 
had a great time and learned a bit more into about technology. I had a professor, Madison Gafison. See, I haven't thought of his name in a while. You see how mm-hmm. we're coming up with these stories. Mm-hmm. And he taught analytics was mm-hmm. the class and grew more and more fascinating, especially around business communication, like infrastructure and technology around there. And I was like, I really want to dig deeper into this. So applying out of college, started looking at so SaaS companies, software as a service company. Then yeah, I was lucky enough to get a few offers and I ended up using Databricks in particular and being a great choice. That is awesome. So what was that professor's name again? Madison? Madison Gafison. So Professor Gafison, let me ask you this. Do you feel like that was like a crossroads moment? Like you, you, your relationship with him took you more down the tech path? Yeah, I would say so. Definitely. I mean, I already had that strong passion for it, but meeting him and like even just the classes, he was really passionate, you could tell. And so it just made me get more excited about learning more around that technology and stuff like that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Bengadi, tell me a little bit about your your upbringing. I know you're originally from Zimbabwe. I would tell me about the early childhood mentors, whether it's parents, coaches, family members. Who who are the people who you feel like were inspirational in helping you helping you become the man you are today? Yeah, that that's a great question. I would say my parents definitely. I can't say enough good things about my parents. Both my mom and dad are very present in my life. They've always been supportive of me. And so, I mean, looking back, golf was always a big part of my life. And my dad actually brought me into golf because at the time, because of work, he was fairly high up in his organization. And golf, I guess, was a thing that you had to do all the time. And so he just kept bringing me on. And I guess I just fell in love with golf. And I think I started playing golf when I was maybe around five years old. And... It was something I played every single day for I don't know how many years. My parents let me go to sports academies. I was focused on golf. They took me to tournaments all around the world. Very supportive. They were. I think I had a really great relationship in, with my parents in the sense of when I compare maybe to my friends, my parents let me do anything in the sense of like they kind of knew I wasn't going to get in trouble. I was never that kid to get in trouble. I was definitely mischievous in the sense of I was that kid who would get the, he talks too much, he's disruptive, but I was never the one to do anything outside of that sort of minor problems, I guess. And so who else would I say was really impactful in my life? My parents, obviously, I have these two people that I always talk about when I tell my story that I met in New York, summer 2018, I went to work at a summer camp and we lived together in the bunk. They were from Matt and Jack. They were from Australia and the UK the two most outgoing people who just would say yes to anything. And no matter how ridiculous it was, they made sure they try something new and hanging out with them for about two months genuinely made a big impact on my life. I had so much fun and they always told me to say yes and made me become an outgoing person. I think that made me more likable or like be that person to be invited out to do stuff and also just experience new things and not being afraid, not being shy to meet new people. Wow. So you mentioned a, a, a couple of people uh, who've been influential in your life, but obviously you had to be willing to receive for them to be able to be impactful. Talk to me about the importance of being being teachable and being coachable and, and how that helps you be able to have these 
impactful moments with some of these people who, who made a difference in your life? Yeah, I would say, I think because I grew up playing golf competitively, I always had coaches. And so you realize that you don't know everything and people come from different walks of life and you're always able to learn different things from people. And so I always had that open mind to say, huh, like, I see how you're enjoying the way you do this. I want a piece of that, you know? And at the same time, like, you can learn a lot of good things, but you can also learn a lot of bad things that, like, I don't know if I say this correctly, but you can learn a lot of bad things that teach you what not to do, if that makes yeah, any yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, um, And so just being aware and, like, listening to people's stories, because, I mean, also people are willing to share, like, they didn't do everything correctly. Just make sure you don't go down that path, for example. And, yeah, I think that's something that I took away from I guess that helped me learn a lot from all these people that I learned from. Okay. Are you still in contact with Matt and Jack? Is there, are there, is that there there? Yeah. So funny enough, I actually met Matt maybe two weeks ago for the first time since 2018. We actually met up, um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, just great to see him. Uh, we had a bunch of laughs, you know, talked about the stories from that day. It was awesome. So let me ask you a question, because uh, I feel like in my I, I've traveled a little bit and I feel like I, I definitely grew up living in some of these different places. I would like to talk to you about uh, some of your time in some of these different places. Like uh, I know you mentioned living in South Africa. You were born and raised in Zimbabwe. Let's start there. Tell me about your time in Zimbabwe. What was Zimbabwe like? What was your experiences in Zimbabwe? And how do you feel like it shaped you to the person you are now? Yeah, yeah. My time in Zimbabwe is like I absolutely love Zimbabwe so much. I go try to go home twice or once a year. I grew up to be very transparent. I was very fortunate growing up. Like my parents were the lucky few. I'm sure if you look up Zimbabwe, it's not a lot of good things from the economic situation and so forth, and political issues. Not going to get into that because you know, right? I think someone shows up at my house or something. <laughs> but, but. But I was lucky enough to go to some really good schools, met some really incredible people. But I think one thing that I learned in Zimbabwe is sort of humility in the sense of you can have all these things, but it can be taken away overnight. And so I think that is something that shaped me a lot, especially in the way I just live life. And especially if you look at, for example, I always have a backup plan. Like no matter how well things are going, I always assume something can go wrong. So I have a plan or a backup plan in case something goes wrong. And then in South Africa, South Africa was also another great experience. I got to go to these really good school, like a golf academy where I learned so much. Did that put me a little bit out of touch for a little bit? Yeah, because the kids I went to school with kind of on a different level as well. So it's just like one of those. But you learned to, I think in South Africa, I learned a bit more around race relations in a weird way because I don't know how I'd explain this, but I think the divide is probably a lot larger in South Africa than I had realized. And so you can mm -hmm. see that, you know, people are not relating well with one another simply because they color their skin. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later down the line, I made my first move to the USA. And I don't know if you know, but I started off in Alabama. <laughs> and funny enough, people always, asked me like oh how was your time in alabama it must have been tough i was like i felt extremely welcome in alabama mm -hmm. 
everyone was super nice to me. Generally speaking, I mean, there are a few instances at golf courses, maybe like you could see there was a bit of what are you doing? Yeah, kind of thing. But overall, like I, I had only good things to say about Alabama. And then I lived in Boston after that was just a different animal in itself. It was just went from a quiet small town to a giant city, very diverse. I went from a place where I used to tell everyone I was a foreigner in Alabama, like the standout thing everyone wants to now talk to you to in Boston. No one cares. I'm a foreigner. It's just like <laughs> other of you, you know? And so that was that. And then I moved back to Marquette. And funny enough, I always tell people Marquette was the hardest move of my life because I moved during COVID. And so when I moved COVID, I moved to Marquette, absolutely knowing no one except for one person. Mm-hmm. All the places that I typically go out to make friends, the bars or outdoor activity, nothing's going on. So I can't make friends. Or if they're open, there were those restrictions in terms of sitting at the tables. I can't sit at a table with people I don't know, you know? And so it took me a while to make a build a crew out in uh, Marquette. But once things started opening up, I tell you, people in Marquette, the friendliest people in, in my experience in the U.S., by far the easiest to get along with. And you just make a friend at a coffee shop, just standing in line. They're like, oh, I like your shoes. And then you start talking forever. And I would say when I started off coming from Boston, I got used to just not talking to people. Small talk was not a thing anymore for me. So I find it a little annoying initially when someone just starts speaking to you on the street. You're like, don't you have something else to do? But you know, <laughs> eventually I became that person where like, I'm just on the street. I'm like, oh, I like your shoes. Where'd you get them? And you start talking, you have a 10 minute conversation out of nowhere. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. That's, man, it, it's a, it's incredible all the different places you live. As an African-American, I know growing up, we had very little information about the continent of Africa. Yeah. Even still in the normal vernacular uh, of Americans, we speak about Africa like it's a country. We speak yeah. about Africa like it's a monolith. And so talk to me about your experience with with Americans when they find out that you are from Zimbabwe, what is that experience like? Are people interested? Do they have questions that are well thought out? Are they just, do they say dumb things to you? What's been your experience? I think there was always curiosity around when I said I'm from Zimbabwe. First of all, people have absolutely no idea where that is. And so people would be curious there. And then I think, forgot what year Black Panther came out. They'll somehow tie that to Wakanda. I'm like, wait, what? That's not a place as well. Anyway, and so there was always that curiosity. And then the question of, was it a wealth? Would they ask well-thought-out questions? Not really. Sometimes, oh, how do you get in contact with your parents? And I'm like, I phone them. Like, you know, we, <laughs> we have phones and the normal place. I mean, obviously, there's sides that are very still underdeveloped. And so... I came from the city, so I'm kind of used to, you know, city life and the things that are available in the U.S. and wherever globally. And so it's just, also you have to understand, oh, that's probably what they see on TV. They don't have the exposure to see what real life is like. It's like if you ask, if I tell people from Zimbabwe, I'm, I live in the U.S., for example, they think every day I'm just dodging bullets, for example. From But it's just obviously gun violence might be a problem, but it's not the everyday life of everyone. And so it's just managing expectations. I don't know how I can control or answer that question. 
Yeah, no, you did a great job. So one thing that's very interesting about your story, Bengali, is it kind of flies in the face of most people's perception of what it means to be an African, you know, with the fact that you cut, you grew up in a pretty affluent environment. You grew up playing golf, which for us, you know, for us as Americans, at least, I don't know what the international perspective is, but golf is maybe one of the most elitist sport that there is. You having a heavy golf background, you having an affluent background, for a lot of people, you may be an anomaly. How do people process you? You know what I mean? Because here's this guy who, he's a golfer, he grew up in an affluent environment, he's this tech guy, you got this success, but you don't quite fit the mold of what people would consider to be an African. Have you had any experiences where that's difficult for people to wrap their mind around? Yeah, some people wouldn't. I wouldn't say, yeah, it's it's a weird one because I guess in, in like Zimbabwe, they'll make fun of me and call me the the Oreo, you know, like where it's like you're black on the outside, but white in the inside kind of thing, especially around just playing golf. Maybe not necessarily my parents. It was just like it was a white sport, I guess, because I spent so much time on the golf course. My, my closest friends will happen to also be white. And so... It was never, I don't think it was out of a place of like, oh, it's bad, you're hanging. It was just a way to make fun of me kind of thing. I was just slightly different, you know? And I guess in college, again, it was also like, yeah, you know, you you don't fit their typical profile. They expect me to be soccer or running or something like that. I guess I was unique in that sense. And I guess also like I look at it from a positive perspective because I got to learn the different environment perhaps and also a big thing i think professionally how it's helped me is not to be afraid to be the odd one out you know mm. being in the spaces where maybe i might be the only black person it's just to me it's just like okay cool that's not really something i'm afraid of anymore and that makes me be comfortable being uncomfortable even in just a generic mm. other situation where it's like this is not my comfort zone but I'm just so used to being in areas where I'm not necessarily comfortable that I've be, become comfortable, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So basically, you playing golf, growing up in the environment that you grew up in, where you were oftentimes around other, you know, a, a lot of the white people or people that didn't look like you, you feel like it's prepared you for your current career now where you can move around in other rooms and other spaces and you can find comfort no matter where you are. Yeah. That's awesome. What's interesting is even talking about that kind of on the flip side, you going to Alabama State. I would definitely like to dig into that. I've always had an affinity. I went to the University of Iowa, which is, you know, Iowa as a state is like the UP. It's like picture the UP as a whole state. Yeah. That's like going to the University of Iowa, right? So I always was kind of jealous of the people who got a chance to get the HBCU experience where you can be in this, this college environment where I remember walking through college campus and was like I was like I stood out amongst everybody who I was walking around. I went into a big yeah. classroom. I, I was one of the few. What was it like going to Alabama State, a historically black college? We have black professors. You got black coaches, black student body coming from coming from. You were coming from South Africa, right? Zim, yeah, Zimbabwe. I oh, you're from Zimbabwe. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so what, what was that? What was that? What was your? Uh, let, share with me your HBCU experience. It was interesting because, like, 
I guess black American culture is slightly different. And so it's just like learning and figuring out, like, it's like, we all look the same, but we're different. Right. And just the things we, I, I, this is a hard question because I've never thought about this now. It was a unique experience. I just genuinely don't know how to explain it. Um, yeah. It's from... I don't think a question's ever like held me down where I can't even like, you know, it. If, if it's probably my fault. It probably wasn't a good question. Let me rephrase the question to make it a little bit more specific. So when it came to like finding a friend group to intermingle into, when it came to, I know black colleges is big on football and homecoming and all of those kind of things from a social aspect, did you feel accepted immediately, even though you were coming uh, from Zimbabwe? Did it take some time to feel accepted? Did you ever feel accepted? What was that process like? Oh yeah, I felt really well accepted. Like from just making friends on the golf team. I was, like I was an athlete, so I had a big advantage that over, let's say, just a regular student coming in because I have this, let's say, fifteen people. I'm guaranteed they have to spend a lot of time with me. They either have to like me or they're gonna be miserable, you know. And so, um. So like, yeah, fortunately I had a really, my first year in particular, great culture on the golf team. It was super welcoming. They brought me with open arms. If we look at outside of the golf team, like going to classes, you get put in group group assignments and so forth. You make friends that way. Again, like people were super welcoming. And then I joined like a business club. And I remember going out to dinner where there were other professors and so forth. One of them like, invited me into a home. She introduced me to a family. They introduced me to their friends and built like a whole community around that. And at the church I used to go to as well, I was assigned a host family, the Lowry's. And they, incredible bunch of people, they were actually white. But when I tell you they took care of me like a child, like I was one of their own children. They they invited me out, met their grand met their parents so like they were like my grandparents in a sense wow they bought me gifts for christmas they took me out to like shooting because i was always curious i was like i'd never shot a gun before that they mm -hmm. took me out shooting and the dad was like almost like a father teaching his son how to like all the rules around gun safety and whatnot don't do this don't do that it, they were incredible had a big impact as well during my college experience because they like they met my parents and like they were that point of contact to reach if I needed something. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you got your master's at NMU. You talked about how uh, that particular professor was so impactful for, for you. You mentioned that moving to Marquette was one of the toughest moves for you, partly because of the pandemic. I'm sure partly because you just didn't know anybody here in Marquette. Can you share a little bit more as far as your experience in Marquette and what, and what that was like? Yeah. Marquette is, like I said, it was like the hardest move, I'd say the first like three months, three months, four months, just simply because I just didn't have the opportunity to go meet people. Full transparency. I'm like someone, like I always, like how I spoke of earlier, like if you move me somewhere, I'm pretty sure I'll be fine. But this particular situation, it was really tough. And initially I stayed on campus at the graduate dorms and it was good until I realized how much they were charging versus what the actual 
people in the city like who don't stay on campus pay mm-hmm. because coming from Boston, I still thought it was cheap. And then I looked at, <laughs> I asked people, how much do you pay? And then they're like, oh, we pay this. I was like, wait, so this can actually be off. And so yeah. I moved in with a, a girl, Sophia, which honestly blessing, like huge blessing in my time in Marquette because she was a really popular girl in the sense of like really good friend group and whatnot. And she went out of a way to introduce me to so many people that changed sort of my social life in that city. And I always told her I would have been nothing without you in Marquette. Like you introduced me to so many people who were always welcoming and made my time there so much fun. Marquette's a bit different, was a bit different for me in the sense of it's a bit of outdoorsy. So I'm not used to that sort of lifestyle. I was always just a city boy, just downtown is where that kind of lifestyle yeah and being Marquette like everyone wants to go on hikes and trails <laughs> and hang out at the beach go snowboarding or something like that so it took some adjustment but you know met some great people hung out with a lot of the foreign students as well because a lot of us were in the master's programs together and you know a lot of them were athletes too so we always had that re- relatability and so Marquette was great because there's so much support around and I'd say Marquette, I had a conversation once with someone saying like, if you are like going, want to go to a place where you want to figure out life and don't need like external pressure from anyone, Marquette is the place because <laughs> it's just like everyone lives their own life. They don't judge. You don't feel that judgment of what yeah. you do for a living. No one can. Yeah. It's just like, do I like you as a person or not? Versus other like city life, it's like, you have to, even your introduction, you're worried like, absolutely. what value am I going to bring to you when I introduce yourself to you? Whereas, for example, San Francisco, I give this example, it's like people introduce themselves based on where they work or their job title. Whereas, and if you did that in Marquette, people look at you like you're crazy, like we don't care, you know? And yeah. so it's a great city. Can't ha- say enough good things about it. That's awesome. It, it- yeah, one one uh, consistent theme in your story, Bengadi, is uh, like you said, your travel and your ability to adjust to all of these different places and, and pull different uh, lessons or attributes from that place to to take you along your journey. In those different places that you've been, Zimbabwe, South Africa, maybe not so much there, but Boston, Alabama, Marquette, what? Unique experiences, what what unique challenges have you experienced that are specific to you being uh, a black male or, you know, a, a, a person who's immigrated from another country? Or have you run across some challenges because of who you are and where you're from? Yeah, I would say it's just, I guess, the cultural differences. It's just small little things where maybe just because of where you just spent time which was normal way of doing things slightly, I guess, different in the next place I live. Something I, I always thought about was just even eye contact, right? Growing up in Africa, when you're speaking to someone senior or older than you, it's seen as rude to, to look at them in the eyes. Like, mm. Whereas in the US, it's like, why aren't you staring at, like, why aren't you looking at me in the eyes when you speak to me? And so... I, I once had, I think it was a professor who called me out on it. I was like, look at me when you're speaking to me. And I just kind of explained, like, I was taught never to look at someone in the eyes, like, if they're older than me kind of thing. And so it's just like small little nuances, right? And like how I said, even just like sometimes when I came from Boston 
to Marquette. I, I didn't like small talk. I just got used to like everyone just head down, do your own thing. And all of a sudden people are talking to you and I'm kind of brushing them off. It's not that I'm trying to be rude. It's just, I'm just, I was not used to, I got used to just not talking to other people, you know? And so it takes a bit adjusting to that. And I guess even since my move to the UK, I work with now people here in Europe and you hop on a call, it's usually 10 minutes of just small talk. Whereas in the US, it was like, hop on a call, we're here to talk about this, blah, blah, blah. And I definitely think I came off as rude when I moved here because I was just so used to hopping on a call. Hey, thanks for hopping on. Here to talk about, and they're asking me how my weekend was. And I'm like looking at them like, what? Why did you ask for that? And so it's just sometimes adapting and learning that sometimes it's just the small things. And same way, like, I'm hoping people are very forgiving as they, they learn. I should also understand that sometimes I might misinterpret something someone's doing as them treating me different because of the color of my skin, but maybe it's just difference in culture. Like they genuinely meant no harm. It's just, I misunderstood because where I'm coming from, maybe something's done differently. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's interesting about all of that is we, we, we've talked to several different people and, and you get a different viewpoint. And you, you start to see that a lot of times where a person was raised, whether they were born in a different country, moved here, whether they were born in the South, whether they were raised in a city environment, a rural environment, people have different stories based upon that. The question I have for you is thinking about people that this podcast can help because the purpose of this podcast is to be able to give a visual to the success that we're seeing in so many different areas with people of African descent. You obviously are an example of that from what you've done in your career and what you're going to continue to do in your career. What advice would you have for that young kid in Zimbabwe who maybe doesn't ha- who maybe didn't have some of the advantages that you have or that kid in Alabama or Boston or somewhere who maybe looks like you, maybe has the same aspirations to succeed like you? What advice would you have for them to be able to do that? Yeah, that's a great question. This might sound corny. Don't be afraid to get the no's. Just keep knocking on those doors, get those no's, and eventually you get a yes. And don't be afraid to just reach out to anyone new. Like, you never know who's ready to open doors for you. It might not even be that person. And just, like, have a goal. Don't just walk around with a headless and with this idea of what you want to do. Figure out, like, the steps you need to take to get to that goal and execute. I'd say that's probably my main takeaway for anyone. That's awesome. That's awesome. You mentioned being able to persist in the face of being told no, being told no, being told no. How did you persist when you were not necessarily things weren't going the way that you liked them to go? I would like you to dig in and talk about a time where Things weren't so beautiful for Bengali. Your story is an amazing story. And it seems like you, from an outside perspective, it seems like you went from success to success to success to success. And then we're doing this podcast today. Obviously, I know that's never true. People always have some struggles and things that they go and overcome. Can you tell me about maybe some obstacle or, or difficult struggle that you've had to overcome? And how did you stay persistent, just like the advice that you've given young people out there? Yeah, I would say even like applying to universities, right? When I decided to do my master's, I did it pretty late and I got a lot of no's 
and a lot of no's. And I was also trying to get the funding, like to pay for my master's in university in America, insanely expensive. I didn't have a scholarship for my master's, unlike in my undergrad. It's being able to just constantly reach out and find those, uh, what's it called? Graduate assistantships. There were a lot of no's applying for those roles. And I just kept pushing and searching and searching, you know, speaking to this person who said they can help me just follow up this time, making sure I followed up. I would say that was like a really stressful time because I knew the consequences were really severe and I had a ticking time clock. And so it was really stressful, but I was really fortunate that someone was willing to help me out and made a plan for me. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Man, I really thank you, Bengali, for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate you. Hats off to everything that you're doing. I wish you more success as you continue down your career path. And yeah, if I'm ever in London, I'm going to give you a ring. Yeah, definitely. Let me know. And I'll probably be in the U.S. in a few months again. So, and I probably have to come to Marquette to visit. Otherwise, everyone will go screaming at me if I don't show up to Marquette. So yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time. And yeah, we appreciate you being on today. Yeah, no worries.